But you turn your Bibles if you brought them with you to Matthew, the fifth chapter, the uh, 22nd verse. And notice, I'm sorry, the 23rd verse, and notice that it starts off, therefore. And any time you see something in the Bible and it says, therefore, that means you need to remember what came before it. That if you take it out of context, you're probably going to be missing on what is really meant uh, in that particular passage. And so whenever he says, therefore, it's referring back to what he's already said about uh, anger and about you shall not. It says you have heard it said you shall not commit murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother without cause shall be guilty before the court, and then he goes on. That is the therefore, and then he continues with these words. If you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You know, I got to looking at uh, verse 25 there. And uh, remember, in so many times we take this out of context. We look at it where it says in the New American Standard Version, it says, make friends quickly with your opponent at law. And I'm wondering, why is he bringing in lawsuits here? And so I went back to the Greek to see exactly what he was saying. And uh, if you're going to translate it literally, it says, make amends with your accuser without delay while you are on your way so that your accuser won't turn you over to the judge. Well, that just sounds different, doesn't it? There's a there's more of a uh, an idea that, hey, maybe you're guilty. And see, that's just it. When you tie it back in to what he said before, he's talking about the same thing he's talking about. If you realize that your brother has, or your sister, has something against you, get that taken care of before you do anything else. Your worship is going to be incomplete if you have hurt other people and you're not trying to get right with them. And so you've got to remember that it's in that context that he's saying these things. Now, many of you have more than one child, don't you? If you have multiple children, let me see your hands. I want to see who can identify with it. Okay, most most of you have more than one child. Tell me, doesn't it grieve you when your children don't get along with each other? Isn't that one of the best gifts that your children can give you? is to look out for each other and to and to love each other. Uh, to me, that's one of the most important things I want from my kids is for them to love each other and to get along with each other. And basically what we hear our creator saying, 
because Jesus Christ is God. He is God come to earth as a man. And here he is saying he wants us to get along with that with each other. And that is more important to him than any other form of worship that you can give him. And, uh, you know, he says this different ways in the Old Testament. It says, and Jesus refers them back to the Old Testament many times where he says, go and learn what it means. He told the scribes and the Pharisees this. You need to go and learn what it means when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And uh, the thing is, how we relate to other people is much more important to God than all the religious trappings we could ever put out before him. And, uh, you know, I've come to realize that all of life is worship. All of life is worship. Because worship, the word worship, comes from the Anglo-Saxon word worship, W-E-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, which means being worthy. And whenever we worship, what we're doing is we're expressing to God, you are worth this. You are worthy. In fact, that's the cry of, uh, of, of uh, worship in heaven, isn't it? Thou art worthy. And that is what we should be saying with all of life. And we should be saying it. That's why I think that uh, whenever we give our offerings, that is worship. And if you're not giving a tithe, you haven't really started worshiping yet. Because whenever you tithe, you're giving a, a that's, that's going to be enough to where it kind of pinches a little bit if you're not used to doing it. But whenever you, you tithe, when you're giving of your substance like that, what you are saying is, Lord, you're worth every penny I could give you. I know I cannot outgive you. And so it is with the rest of life. And whenever we look at uh, the Lord's Prayer, when we look at the Ten Commandments that he has given us both, both of them relate to what? First and foremost, our relation to him. And then secondly, how we relate to other people. He is so concerned about how we get along with each other. And so that's why I'm taking three. I know it's getting old and you may think I'm belaboring the point, but Jesus belabored this point about relationships. Next week, we're going to talk about something that's just a whole lot lighter. We're going to talk about adultery. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but this is, Jesus is choosing our topics. You need to understand that. I'm not picking these out. Jesus has chosen this. This is his order that we're going through. But uh, this is so important that we understand that you express to God how much he is worth to you with your everyday conduct with those people around you, with those people that you come in contact with every day. And it starts in your household. It amazes me how ugly people can be to each other in their own household and how it must grieve the Lord to see them being so ugly to each other. And so it's with that being understood that we uh, we look at this passage and uh, 
and also that I want to share with you what I meant to share with you last week about how uh, how to handle anger properly, how to handle it in the right way. You should have a, a handout that says handling anger rightly or how to handle anger. We talked last week about how anger is a defense mechanism. It's so it's a gift that God gave to you like our other negative emotions. Negative emotions like anger uh, are those emotions that are given to us to let us know something's not right. And when something's not right, something needs to be done about it. And so anger is one of those emotions. It is a gift from God, like the red light on the dashboard lets you know when something's wrong in your engine. Anger lets you know something's not right in your relating to other people. And now there are four sources of anger. And those sources are fear, frustration, pain, and injustice. Fear is number one. Whenever uh, something happens that uh, that is dangerous, uh, whenever somebody uh, attacks you, you get angry. And your defense mechanisms go into play. And so in the fight or flight syndrome comes into play. Adrenaline starts pumping and uh, your, uh, your, your body gets ready to either stand your ground or run like all get out. One of the two, right? And so uh, fear uh, is, uh, is one of the sources of anger. Frustration. Frustration to many times is just an exquisite form of pain. It ties in with pain because uh, there are different kinds of pain, aren't there? There's physical pain. And if somebody hurts you, Physically, you're prone, your anger is going to rise. But if somebody hurts you emotionally, sometimes your emotions of anger are going to rise. And uh, so there's physical pain and there's emotional pain. And then injustice is uh, sometimes just another way to say frustration because we are all, and, and the reason why we get angry at in whatever things aren't right is because we are made in the image of God. It seems like one of the first things that a child learns to say is, that's not fair. That's not right. I remember, and sometimes they don't, I remember one time I was getting ready to go through a car wash, and my little uh, uh, grandson Ian loves to go through the car wash. He did, back then, he was just fascinated with car washes. He was always wanting, man, this car needs cleaning. Paul, Paul. So, uh, we were always having to go get the car washed. So, uh, I had a sunroof on my car. And just be, while we were standing there in line, I just opened up the sunroof. He looked up there and his eyes got real big. He started saying, it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, so it, it didn't fit. But he thought that that was just a word of protest at that point. He didn't like what was going on. That was his way to say it. But, of course, we didn't go through the car wash with the sunroof open. We didn't do that. But uh, anyway, but uh, the thing is, injustice, whenever we see that things aren't, we see people treated wrongly, it bothers us, and it should. But how do we handle that? We can handle that in right ways or wrong ways. You see, our anger uh, is very important. We need to understand because there are things to be done when we're angry, but we need to sort through what it is. I tell you, one of the things that when we're talking about pain uh, that I see go wrong in marriages 
is people just have the habit of uh, when someone hurts them, they hurt back and things just escalate. Just pow, 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 pow. And there's never any thought of trying to settle things down, get things right. And Jesus is saying here, if you've got something wrong between you and somebody else, you need to do something about it. You need to do something about that before you form, before you worship me in any other way. And so, and then whenever you look at all this in this light and we see what he says about, uh, uh, making friends quickly with your accuser, uh, or your adversary, it's not about those that, uh, about just having a lawsuit going on. Cause, uh, this is about whenever you have done something to someone else and that other person, uh, is feeling offended by you. And see, it ties in with what it says is, if your brother has ought against you, leave your offering there and go and get things right. Ultimately, we're all going to go before judgment one of these days. We're going to stand before the Lord, the judge anyway. We're going to stand before him uh, for rewards and for other things as well. And uh, you can look at this, the one who's talking is the ultimate judge. And if we haven't handled things rightly with our brothers and sisters, we're going to have to give an accounting for it before him. And so this is, and ultimately I see a warning there. If you want to be right, you need to get things right, right here, right now. And so as we go through this rest of this stuff here, I want you to to understand that uh, this is important. I think I've underscored that enough. Um, There is a pattern that goes on in our lives. You First of all, we talked last week about how uh, Isaiah was just instantly transformed in a way in that once he saw himself in relation to a holy God, he realized, he realized about how unholy he was, first of all, and he was shown God's mercy and then God's grace. But then he realized that everybody around him was in the same boat. Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I say the Apostles' Creed on Sunday, and I go and live like the devil all week. The words that come out of my mouth hurt other people. I am not the person that I know you want me to be. He knew that. And the Lord cleansed him and gave him a new lease on life, didn't he? And gave him a tough assignment, but he took it gladly. Well, the thing is, is that we all should have that moment when we are given a new lease on life, when we confess our sins, receive uh, what Jesus did on the cross for our sins, and then realize that he has a life for us to live. And the big thing about it is that that life is going to be a life of love. Now, let me tell you this. Whenever I got to that point in my own conversion experience and I had received his forgiveness and I said I was going to live my life the way he wanted to live from that moment on, it dawned on me I was going to have to love people that I didn't think were lovable. And I, I, I lived believing that if you make yourself to love, you have to make yourself vulnerable. And if you make yourself vulnerable, you can get hurt. And so I told this to the Lord. I said, but Lord, if I live like that, 
If I stretch my, stretch my, stick my neck out like that, I'm probably going to get whacked. I'm going to get hurt if I do that. And he said, yeah, but let me tell you, 11 out of 12 ain't bad. Stop and think about it. This is what he told me personally. 11 out of 12 isn't bad. And he spoke to my heart when he said that because I knew he chose 12 disciples. He had 12 guys that he shared himself deeply with. He made himself vulnerable to them. He put himself in positions where he could be hurt by them. Only one of them really hurt him and betrayed him. Yeah, Peter uh, denied him, but Judas betrayed him. There's a difference. But uh, And what he was trying to get across to me is, yeah, if you live the sort of life I'm calling you to live, you may get hurt every now and then. But it's worth it to have so many good relationships and so many relationships that are right. The odds are in your favor. You're going to have more good ones than bad ones. And that's been the case I've discovered as I've gone through life. I have been attacked by other people, but I've been overwhelmed with other people's love and kindness. That's his life, the way he calls us to live it, I can attest, is the best way to live your life. Well, whenever we begin that life with him, we discover something. John Wesley discovered this. He discovered that uh, he thought that sin had been just dealt a death blow in his life, and he was no longer going to sin. And then he discovered it had just been stunned a minute, and the old man was still in there. And it bothered him, just like it did the Apostle Paul, where he said, I, I, I love what's right, I want to do what's right, and then I find myself doing what's wrong. Who can deliver me from this? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, what happens is that we are creatures of habit. Habit is another gift that's given to us by God. Whenever you go to leave today, you're going to walk out, you're going to go to your car door, and you're going to open up your car, you're going to pull your keys out, stick your key in the ignition, and turn it on, aren't you? And how much do you have to think about that? You don't have to think about uh, where the doorknob is on your car, do you? You probably don't even look. You walk up and you just grab it and you open the door. When you put the key in, you don't say, okay, now where did I put my keys? I need to, okay, my keys are in my pocket. My keys are, 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 are in my purse. And you don't have to think about where your keys are. You just know where your keys are. You pull, do you say, okay, now then, is the uh, place where I put the key in on the left side or the right side of the steering column? You know, you don't even think. You just pull your keys out, stick it in there. Habit makes life so much easier. But the thing is, sometimes we have bad habits as far as how we relate to other people that need to be undone. And, uh, and our belief system, you see, I've got this chart here. It shows a, bold, a pattern. First of all, something occurs. And that something that occurs um, could be anything. But what I'm trying to, I'm just going to make this real quickly. Everything that happens to us is filtered through our belief system. 
our belief system is made up of uh, of from from things that we've experienced in the past. You know, like I have had experiences with cats that has really made it difficult for me to uh, look on cats in a favorable way. I'll share those stories with you someday. But I know in my mind that. Some people think cats are lovable, and to some people, cats are lovable. And I'm not going to go into all these details now, but I've had some horrible things done to me by cats. And uh, I've had to overcome some of these things in order to, they've cost me many, many pairs of shoes and boots and, uh, uh, and great embarrassment in my life. But I know that cats are good and that people love cats. Now, don't hate cats, but it's one of those things I've had to struggle with, okay? Just letting you know that my belief system, uh, I've, I've had to work to overcome this. But we have these experiences in our life that give us filters as to how we perceive all of life. Some of you have uh, belief systems that need to be worked over by the Lord. And uh, there are, uh, I'll tell you, the, uh, the, the belief system of an addictive personality is basically, I am a bad, unworthy person. If others really knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. Because of that, I can't depend on other people for my needs to be met. And then you fill in the blank with your addiction as to what your most important need is. I learned this with sexual addiction, and so uh, uh, I was, I, I was, that's where I learned that, that belief system. And so I just put S there. You just fill in with sex if you're a sex addict. And so it just comes out BODS, B-O-D-S is the acronym. It's real easy to remember. But you can put alcohol in there, drugs in there whatever that last thing is. But many people, because of their experiences, that is their belief system. Some people, and part of their belief system is just become, I'm not good enough, or why get my hopes up just to fail again? Or I don't have the right equipment or the experience or enough money, education, connections, etc. I'm not lucky. I've never been lucky. I'm too busy just surviving to think about dreams or goals. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too thin. I'm too fat. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too whatever you want to put in there. Scott Turlo, Turo says, uh, who are we but the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and believe? And uh, in the world, that's very, very true. But this is just it. Jesus comes to sweep all that past aside so that we can live in the present and have a great future. Look ahead for the future. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. He came to free us from our past so we can have a present and look forward to the future. So, uh, with those in mind, remember that's the part of your belief system. If any of those things are in your belief system, the Lord has good news for you. He gives you a clean slate today, and you don't have to live out of those things anymore. But then you'll, so you, you, what you, you filter things through your belief system. You wind up with a physical reaction to it. You start having your feelings, your thoughts, 
and uh, based on the things that come out of that, and then you take action. And the results, if you have a healthy and a good and a, a, and a sanctified belief system, the results are going to be good. If you have a faulty belief system, then what comes out the other end isn't going to be good. And so the Lord is always working on our belief system. We're having to replace a worldly belief system with a godly belief system. But uh, sometimes, in the meantime, you still have to handle anger while those things are, while you're putting off the old things and putting on the new and becoming the person that Jesus is, uh, has created you to be. And uh, so, uh, he says, do not, be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, uh, to, in order to prove by you what is that good and pleasing and perfect will of God. And uh, so anyway, I'm going to just go on and give you quickly, you'll see, so what do I do if I feel myself getting angry? Number one, memorize the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are That's the, the fruit of this. Notice it's not fruits, plural. Some people want to think that I can pick and choose like a shopping cart or I can be in the supermarket. Okay, I want some of that uh, love, but I don't want any of that patience. Or I want patience and give it to me now. You know, it's one way or the other there. But the thing is, whenever you describe an apple, see, this is the, these are the attributes of the Holy Spirit within you. All of these attributes should be manifesting themselves in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All those things should be there. And you don't get to pick and choose them. They come from being the Lord's. Well, uh, and so just like an apple is tart, sweet, red, juicy. You see, that's all describing the same apple. This is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the way it is. Now, until you, if you haven't memorized the fruit of the Spirit, but until then, you can count to 10. That's a, uh, in a lot of counseling, they teach you to tell people, whatever I was looking at, uh, how to uh, counsel with people that uh, are rageaholics, people that just go fly off the handle at the, their spewers. And uh, anyway, those people that you see involved in road rage and all, I used to counsel with people like that. This is one of the things that they teach you to do. The first thing, you, when you feel yourself getting angry, if you can't think of anything else to do, count to 10. That's really true or a good thing to do. The reason why is that that slows down the things that are coming through your belief system because normally you react without even thinking. But if you'll just slow things down and count to 10, then you'll wind up letting, uh, you, you'll, you'll check the physical reaction and feelings and thoughts won't be based on just what your your old belief system. You will have a chance then to uh, move on down here. Ask yourself, next thing, after you count to 10, or even better, list the fruit of the Spirit, ask yourself, how am I going to feel about this three days from now? That's a good, good, if you just project out and think, okay, what I'm getting ready to say, what I'm getting ready to do, three days from now, how am I going to feel about this? If I'm still sleeping on the couch three days from now, <laughs> if I'm sitting in jail three days from now, you know, 
How am I going to feel about it? Uh, and that's a, that's a good, good measuring stick. And then, do I have the right to be angry? And it's at this point that I think it's good to go back to these causes of anger. And just like the layers of an onion, ask yourself, okay, why am I, why am I feeling angry? Am I afraid? No. Uh, what is, does this person hurt me? Yes. Well, how have they hurt you? Well, they said so and so. And, uh, was it the truth? Yes. Well, uh, and so you start peeling back. Sometimes you'll discover that what's really gone, going on is remember the, the belief system that I gave you last week of the godly person and the, un- of the godly person, the ungodly person and, uh, where we are in the scheme of things. Some people, those people that feel the whole world revolves around them, just wind up getting angry at everybody all the time because they think everybody ought to make room for them, get out of their way, uh, because they are the most special people in the whole wide world. That's the way a lot of people see it. And they don't realize these other people have feelings, thoughts, their own agendas, their own missions that they're on, and yeah, they're in your way right now. It's because they're trying to get where they're wanting to go. They have just as big a right to be upset with you as you are with them. And so you see, whenever you peel things back, this was one of the greatest self-analytical tools I ever found because I began to see how immature I was. I began to see how much of what I was getting upset about and frustrated about was because I just felt like I was king of the universe. And if you're feeling like that, you put yourself where God should be. And so you need to step off the throne, say, Jesus, you're really going to be Lord. How would you handle this? How would you have me handle this? And that's the last thing with there. Ask yourself, what would Jesus have me do? I don't like the what would Jesus do? Because, I mean, he could call down fire from heaven. You can't do that. You can't have somebody struck with lightning. But he has made it very, very clear what he would have you do. He has listed it all out right here in this book. And so familiarize yourself with this. And then also rely on the Holy Spirit. Because as you pray in that moment and say, Jesus, what would you have me do? His Holy Spirit is going to quicken your spirit as you're trying to obey him and try and he will guide you and he will give you the right thing to do. And as you do that, as I said earlier, you are offering up to him praise and worship that he likes. It's not for that other person that you're doing this, you see. It's because you love him. And it's the way you can show your heavenly father in a way that he will receive more than any other. Lord, I love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.